I want to ask you, for everyone who is joining with us live today, if you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, it was just three days ago that a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, it says, he approached Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. It says that Pilate confirmed that Jesus was dead and then gave permission for this Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who had a, a tomb for himself. It was Joseph's tomb, but he let Jesus borrow this tomb. Amen. And so he took Jesus' body down and they put him in that borrowed tomb. And it says that Joseph wrapped him in a linen cloth. And then while all this is happening, it appears that the chief priest and the Pharisees, that they went to Pilate as well and had a conversation. And their conversation sounded a little bit like this. You know that troublemaker Jesus. He said that if he was buried, that he'd be raised up in three days. So Pilate, you need to make sure that his disciples are not able to go in and steal this body because if these troublemakers steal this body, then the end will be worse than the beginning. And so Pilate said to the Roman guard, he said, seal the tomb as best you know how. Now here is a group of Roman soldiers that are uh, not new to war, not new to violence. These are war-hardened men who are not afraid of anything. And it is their job to seal this tomb. And so what did they do? It says that a stone was rolled over the face of this tomb, that a seal was placed on it. So nobody would be able to enter without that seal being broken. And then that Roman guard... They surrounded that tomb just daring anyone to come near it. But then three days later, <laughs> three days later, Mary Magdalene, it says, is going to the tomb and it's very early. And I guess maybe somewhere in the midst of this going, it says, not a, a little tremor, but it says a severe earthquake came. And in the midst of this severe earthquake that is shaking the earth, it says that an angel descended from heaven and rolled the stone away. It said that this angel appeared as lightning. Now what about this Roman guard? It said that they shook with fear, with such great fear, that they fell to their face like dead men. And so then... Mary Magdalene, she comes and she sees inside and she hears the voice of an angel who says to her, He is not here, for He is risen. He is not here, for for He is risen. And she runs and it says she goes and she tells the disciples just like she was instructed to do. And John and Peter, they come and they run back to the tomb. John gets there first, but Peter's got a little more courage, so he goes in. And you know that linen cloth that they wrapped him in? It's folded. It's, It's rolled up. I'm thinking if I'm still in a body, if I'm a disciple and I'm, I'm trying to steal this body, I don't have time to fold any linens. I'm grabbing it and I'm going. 
But now you see, nobody stole that body. That body was resurrected. And the proof of it is in the linen cloth that is folded, in the stone that is rolled away, in the guards that are on their faces. And so these disciples then go out and make it their mission in life. This is the part that I want us to get today. They, they have a mission in life to speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I can understand if I've been following Jesus that I would run and tell his other followers, hey, he ain't there. He's risen. Like, I, he's gone. In fact, it says that Mary Magdalene actually saw Jesus, mistook him for someone else, but when he spoke, she realized who he was. And so she saw that he was risen. And so I get that they would tell each other, but you see, the story of these disciples is not only did they tell each other and simply just hold that in their heart the rest of their days, but they spent the rest of their life telling everyone that they could find. They told all the Jews. They told all the Samaritans. They told all the Gentiles. They went out and spread this gospel. And my question is this, why? What is so powerful about this resurrection that they would not only risk their life, but if you read the accounts of the disciples' lives, I would say not only many, but most lost their life as martyrs. Sharing the gospel. And I want to know what is this power that causes people to not even love their life unto death but will give their lives so that other people might know this story. That's a story I want to know, and I want to hear it. And that's why I asked you to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about our future resurrected bodies. And I want to draw your attention to verse 55. Because I want to suggest to you today that the reason that these disciples were willing to share the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the entire known world is because the resurrection of Jesus is the single greatest victory in all humanity. I'm going to say that one more time. Amen. That the resurrection of Jesus is the single, none greater, single greatest victory of all humanity. And in that victory, there are three things being defeated. And you need to know them. Amen. Verse 55 says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why these disciples spent the rest of their lives, even unto death, declaring the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm going to put it to you in, a, in the way that I got it this week. It was though I saw it as a, a formula in my mind. When you see a resurrected Jesus, you may not know a whole lot, but there's one thing you do know. He just defeated death. Amen. Don't, don't go too fast beyond that. A resurrected 
Lord. If it does nothing else, it proves this. Death didn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him. So he defeated death. But if he defeated death, he had to defeat something else. He had to defeat sin. Because sin is what leads to death. And so if he defeated death, then he defeated sin. And if he defeated sin, then he had to defeat the one who started the whole process of sin to begin with, which was Satan. So in case you missed it, I'm going to say this all over again. The single greatest victory in all mankind is the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he defeated death, when he defeated sin, and when he defeated Satan. And I want to spend the rest of the time that we have together today walking us through Scripture that brings that even more clearly. <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking about this actually. Uh, if you went all the way back to Genesis, and you go all the way back to the fall, God told Adam and Eve, He said, if you eat of this fruit, in dying you will die. And they didn't literally die that day, but they unleashed a process of death that no one has escaped. Every cemetery known to man before the resurrection of Jesus showed the reign of sin over humanity, and that all, all of them died, and we're all still dying. And, and, and so he's told them that. He said, if you disobey, you will die. And it, when they sinned, they empowered death, unleashed this dying, but now Jesus is coming, and he's having victory over it. I want to draw your attention to Romans. Will you go with me there? Romans chapter Romans chapter 5 verse 21 I pray you'll see the scripture there on the screen or follow along with me in your Bibles I'm in the New American Standard and here's how mine reads so that as sin reigned in death even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord I was studying this past week and I was looking at a commentary and uh, an expository of these verses from Alexander McLaren. And he describes it, to, it with, as two queens. He takes these two verses and he says there's two queens. Notice what it says, sin reigned and grace reigned. McLaren said there's this queen of sin and she is the queen of death. Sin reigned in death. But then he says there's another queen. And whereas the, the first one was in charge, the second one comes about to defeat this first queen. And this queen is grace. And notice what it says. It says that grace reigned. Alexander McLaren asked this question. He said, why didn't it say that righteousness reigned? Do you see that? It doesn't say that righteousness reigned. It said that grace reigned. And when I read this, I found someone who shares my heart for ministry. This man was alive in the 1800s to the early 1900s. But this is what he said. It was so good that I wrote it down for you. He said, why not say that righteousness reigned? Because nothing we did was going to overcome sin and death. Do you see that? 
All of humanity in all of his efforts to become righteous could not defeat sin, could not clear itself from sin. He said, because nothing we did was going to overcome sin in death. So grace had to come. Grace in the form of Jesus Christ. It said that, that grace had to come, that love would win. What will conquer sin? Will punishment or law or threatening or revelation of wickedness? He said these are secondary places. The thing that will conquer a world's wickedness is nothing else but the manifest love of God. Wow. When I read that, I said, that is my heart for ministry. You see, as a pastor, my heart is for those who have allowed sin to reign in their life and it is creating death because it always does. But then the question is, are we going to focus on the sin and are we going to try to find a way to, to punish it or, or threaten it or expose it or concentrate on it? And I will tell you that if you take that approach, it may make you feel good, but you will not reign over sin. Because there's only one thing that reigns over sin. It's the manifest love of God. Through the grace of God. Look at what it said. But grace would reign through righteousness. Uh, right standing with God. See, wh why do you even want to be righteous if you're not in right relation with God? Why do you want to be sinless if you don't care anything about God? It's about being in relationship. And so grace puts us in right relationship, which then gives us eternal life. How? Not through us, but through Jesus, who is the resurrected King. Amen. That could be one of my new favorite verses. It could easily be one of my new favorite verses. But I've got some additional verses for you that I like as well. Colossians 2. You see, what I wanted to do is just go through Scripture, look through the, the Gospels and the Epistles, and see what God is doing. And, and here's the thing that struck me this week, and I want to tell it to you. Is we can get wrapped up in the why and try to figure that out with our heads. And we turned this thing into a mental battle of trying to understand what's going on. And this week I was, I was doing that again of, of God, what are you doing? What, are, what, what is happening on the cross and what is happening in the resurrection? And I was stuck in my head. You ever been stuck in your head? But, but what I realized is that the Bible is more than a, a textbook. It paints pictures. And it tells real life events in such a way that creates imagery for us. That as I said during the communion service, that not only burns in our brains, but it burns in our heart. The message of the gospel. So now, in doing that, I'm in Colossians chapter 2. I want to read for you three verses, beginning verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Having forgiven all our transgressions, having counseled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he had disarmed the rulers and authority, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him." 
I know that's kind of wordy, but can I tell you what that's saying? Many of you who are listening have been baptized. And what it is saying is that when we are baptized by faith, we are joining ourselves to the burial, the death and burial of Jesus Christ. We are going down as He did into the tomb. But then by faith, which is the only way you can receive this, you can figure it out in your head if you want to, but it won't do you any good until you believe in it. But then when we are raised up in baptism, by faith we are being raised up into this life in Jesus Christ, in God who raised Him from the dead. And then it said when you were dead and you your transgressions and the circumcision of your flesh. I always have a heart for people, this uncircumcision of the flesh. You know, the Gentiles were the uncircumcised. I always have a heart for people who, who feel like they were born at the wrong time into the wrong family on the wrong side of the track for the people that always feel like they got picked to be on the wrong team that always loses. You know, the have-nots. My, my heart always goes out to the ones who feel like they're the the have-nots, the ones that always get looked over and, and always miss out on things. But can I tell you that uh, you didn't miss out on anything. When Jesus rose from the dead, it, it, there was no one excluded from the benefit of this resurrection. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us plural, us all our transgressions. Now, watch the imagery here, that he canceled our certificate of debt, and he took it away and having nailed it to the cross. Can you picture this with me? You got to get the imagery in your head. Some of you got to go back to being a child and visualize a little bit more. And, and so as they are nailing Jesus to the cross, can, can you see that and can you hear it as that hammer is hitting those nails? Do you hear that? What no one seemed to realize was happening is that as they were nailing Jesus to the cross, our sins were being nailed there as well. Woo! <laughs> Do you see that? It says that our sins and our transgressions, He has taken them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. That as they were driving the nails into Jesus, they were taking our sins and they were nailing them to the cross as well. And then, oh man, I don't know if you know your sins, but I know mine. Amen. <laughs> and the enemy has a really good way of reminding you of all the stuff you've done. He, just like it says here, he, he brings up a record of the things that you have done. But not only was our sin nailed to the cross, but it says that it was taken away. That Greek word that I can't pronounce, not even going to try, is the same word that is used to smear, to blot out, to wipe away. Think about it like this, as Chris shared earlier about his daughter and how she was feeling that pain, and maybe she had some tears. What does, a, what does a daddy do when he sees a child with tears? The first thing he wants to do is wipe those tears away. Amen. Can you picture that? That's that same Greek word, wipe away like tears. Do you see Jesus wiping your sin away like, like tears? And if he wiped your sin away, then surely there shouldn't be any tears. He can wipe those away too. 
It's also a word that means smeared. And so I can just picture the, the devil, the, the Satan, the great accuser of bringing up all of our sin. But if we understand Colossians 2, we're able to stand with confidence and say, what sin? <laughs> what what sin, Satan? Because if my sin was nailed to the cross, and that's a bloody cross where blood was shed, and that blood has wiped that away. If nothing else, it has wiped over it. And unfortunately, Satan, I don't know what you're talking about because we can't see it anymore. Amen. Can't, can't see it anymore. Amen. And you start thinking about, well, what about, what about my next sin? What about the next thing that I do? He died once for all. He's not being crucified over and over again. That same blood that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago is good enough to smear over your sin so that when Satan reminds you, you look at Satan and go, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Unfortunately for you, that stuff is smeared, cleared, wiped away by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And to that, what looked like a great defeat for Jesus... <laughs> was the greatest defeat the devil ever experienced. It was the place where he was defeated. It is the place where Jesus, I can picture it like this, as though chess players and Jesus looks across and the devil thinks he has him right where he wants him and that he's killed the Son of God and somehow Jesus makes the next move, which is the resurrection, and looks at Satan and says, Checkmate. Gotcha. Oh, I love that. Checkmate. You thought you had me. I had been working you to this place that I would forgive the transgressions of man and I would defeat you. And not only would he defeat Satan, but he'd make a public spectacle out of him. And something in my heart rises up and says, yeah, only God could do something like that. But then I think to myself and I say, but we're still dying. We're still dying. And we're still sinning. And Satan seems to still be very much alive. We're in the context of a, a tragic loss in our community of a young man I believe was 17 years old, uh, a soccer player at the high school comes from a, a great family and uh, tragically lost his life. And I know I'm getting ready to preach this message and was able to be a part of the group that rode by their home and, and just share some love and let them know that we're praying for that family. But I go back home and that, that whole day there was such a heaviness about me. There was such a, a grief over that. And I think many in this community would say the, the same thing. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm getting ready to preach a message about the resurrection. And my heart is grieving because this young man still lost his life. So how is it then that, that death is defeated and sin is defeated and, and Satan is defeated? And as Brantley and I were sitting out by the water and just talking about the message and reading through the Scriptures to each other, uh, the Holy Spirit seemed to speak this into my heart. He said, Kevin, death is defeated, but it's not eliminated. Kevin, sin is defeated, but it's not eliminated. Kevin, Satan is defeated, 
but it's not eliminated. And then I started thinking about that, and then I knew that one of the verses I had been meditating on through this week was Hebrews uh, chapter 2. So I'd ask that you go over there with me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what it says. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and that might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Let's look at that. What do we say then when we look around and we still see our loved ones passing away, still knowing that unless the Lord returns, we too will, will pass away? Here is what it, it says. It says that Jesus partook of flesh and blood. He became a man just like us. So that... <laughs> You know Romans 8 where it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Yes, sir. You want to know why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ? It is because Romans 8 goes on to say that He condemned sin in His flesh. Mm -hmm. Did you see that? He said there's no condemnation for you because what was condemned? Sin was condemned in the flesh. It was as though all of hell drew itself to Jesus on the cross. Did you ever notice that wherever Jesus goes, the devil is sure to follow? Like, like wherever he goes, the demons are crying out and people are bringing the demonic to him and they're bringing the sick to him and they're bringing the dead to him and, and, and this battle is waging between him and Satan and it is though Jesus takes all of that sin and he condemns it on the flesh so that, what does it say? Through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. I don't know how many people are walking the face of the earth and they are afraid to die. They are absolutely terrified of death. I believe that is the, the sting that it talked about. And if you'll follow me back over, we're going to end up where we began in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But there are many people who lie awake at night and they cannot go to sleep. Why? Because they're afraid of death. There are many people that get to be about 40 years old. You want to know how I know that? Because I'm 40 years old. And I didn't think a lot about death when I was 16 and 20. The only time I thought about it is if someone like what happened this week died that I knew and I would think about it. But then I try to, I try to brush it out of my mind. I try to get rid of it just as fast as I can. And I see an entire world trying to do that. They don't want to deal with this issue of death. They don't want to do the hard work of figuring out what has happened to us as humans and, and consult the Scripture. And so we just busy ourselves and we just try to have a lot of fun and fill our lives up with a lot of things. Why? It's like we're self-medicating because we don't know how to answer this thing about death because we're in slavery to it until Jesus Christ changes that. Not only are we slaves that we are going to die, but we are slaves in that we fear it and that we are slaves to the sin that put us in that spot to begin with. So then, 
Sin is defeated, but it is not eliminated. But if you go back to the verses that I started with, Paul is answering the question of what happens to us when we die. Do you know what happens to you when you die? Are you fully prepared and walking in faith for that moment that you will breathe your last? Because for all of us that are here and for everyone who is listening, I will tell you that that scripture said that it talked about our mortal bodies. I looked up what mortal means. It means prone to die. If you're listening today, can I just tell you that not only are you prone to die, but, but you will. We all will. But the good news is this. I'm going to read it to you again. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to remind you again, the reason these folks couldn't be quiet, the reason you couldn't shut them up, is because they realized that a resurrected Jesus meant that death had been defeated. And if death had been defeated, it meant that sin had to be defeated because the queen, if we'll call it that, the queen's sin reigned in death. But if death is defeated, then sin is defeated, and then Satan is defeated. So you know what death is for us? It is that place that we lay down this perishable body. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50-54 is talking about. It says that God has made you for eternity with Him, but this body won't do. Amen. See, this body's been corrupted by sin. So it's going to die. And it has to. And so we see the imagery again. We put it in the ground just like a seed. But it's, it's not permanent. We, we put it in the ground because just like a seed, we understand that Jesus Christ is going to return. And it says that the perishable is going to put on the imperishable. And that the mortal is going to put on immortality. It means that when Jesus returns for that final victory, that final victory is going to eliminate death. It is going to eliminate sin. It will eliminate Satan. And at that point, Jesus says, if you're going to spend eternity, you need an eternal body. You need an imperishable body. You need an immortal body. So I'm going to exchange the one that was in the ground with this new one that takes on resurrection, eternal life. Amen. I want to tell you again that death is defeated. And I want to tell you that cemeteries now are a lot different than the cemeteries that used to be. You see, the cemeteries before Jesus was the place where sin reigned through death. But now, when you look at a cemetery for all those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The good news is that when we close our eyes in death, if we have, have in faith surrendered our life to Jesus, then we go into the presence of the Lord where our bodies wait for His return when He eliminates death, sin, and Satan so that then we can have this incorruptible body. So that being said, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, Oh, death, he's taking it from the book of Hosea. 
And it's almost like Paul is mocking. Can you hear that? It's almost like he's mocking death and he's mocking the grave and sin and Satan. It's almost like he's, he's speaking as though he's mocking a defeated foe. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I, I want to have that same kind of heart that Paul had. And so I want to close the message today in a, in a similar fashion. And rather than it saying, oh death, I'm from the south. Around here, we say, hey. Hey, where a lot of folks up north don't know what that is. They think that's something you feed cattle or horses. But that's our word for hello. It's our word for oh. And so there's a few things I want to say today in closing. I want to say, hey, death, (laughs) Jesus is alive. He is risen. Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? You you couldn't hold Jesus down. And since you could not hold Him down, we rise with Him into resurrection life. And then I want to say, hey sin, Jesus is risen. Where, where is your sting? Where are those charges? I'm sure you'd like to bring some charges, sin, to all the people that are listening today. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is they were nailed to the cross and they were wiped away by the blood of Jesus. We don't really have anything to talk about. That's unfortunate for you, sin, but that's awful good for us. And then, hey, devil... <laughs> hey, devil, he's risen. Hmm. And you're defeated. Amen. Hmm. I wonder how it feels, devil, to have the greatest weapon in your arsenal, which was sin leading to death, to be turned absolutely against you. Devil, you should have seen it coming. When, he ra- when, when Lazarus was raised from the dead in the conversation, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection. Uh-huh. Hmm. Satan, you should have seen it coming. You should have known that Jesus had something up his sleeve that he wasn't telling you. So, hey, devil, guess what? Resurrection life is the life that we now live. And because of that, I need to say, hey, Christian, hey, Christian, Jesus is risen. And resurrection life is inside of you. And if you're to live, then you ought to live by Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Listen to what it says. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then, hey, hey, unbeliever, he's risen. Unbeliever, you're mortal. You're prone to die. But you don't have to die in eternal separation from God. You see, you can hear the message today and you can receive that. And even though your body may go into the ground, there is a resurrection life that is coming. And you can spend all of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, hey, unbeliever, you don't have to let death be destruction. You can let death be a doorway. 
And the keeper of the doorway is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And He says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I would ask you today, just as much as I know how, that if you have not put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then I would ask you to do that today. But then I got just one more. Hey, this one is, uh, hello Jesus. Jesus, you did it. Amen. <laughs> you Amen. did it. When nobody saw what you were doing, when we couldn't understand it, when it was a, a mystery to us why you were dying and our hopes were lost and we were afraid that it was all over, you were actually making a spectacle of the enemy that in dying we were going to all live. And so Jesus, all I can say to you is this, <laughs> all the victory is yours, Jesus. Jesus, all the honor is Yours. All the glory is Yours. All the kingdom is, Lord, is Yours. The battle is Yours. And we stand as believers and we declare today that You are the risen Savior, that You are the King of kings, that You are the Lord of lords, and You will reign forever and we will be with You. Because of resurrection life. Jesus, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you that you caught me up in the work that you were doing. And as believers at home, I encourage you that you get caught up in this thing that Jesus did in the resurrection. You get caught up in resurrection life. Because I tell you, there is a difference in those who live under resurrection power and those who don't. And it is the resurrection power that causes the people of the Bible and the people of the day to still shout out to the world, the greatest victory of humanity was in the cross, the resurrection. And can I tell you about the manifest love of God? Thank you again, Lord Jesus. Amen.